read. We read from verse 3. This is Apostle Peter. He's writing chapter 1, verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath us that hath called us to glory and virtue. Word not used very often, meaning goodness. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, that means taking care, add to your faith, virtue or goodness, and to goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, temperance. To temperance, patience. To patience, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, charity. Or we would say love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren, you won't be idle. Neither will you be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off. And has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence, that means take care, that your calling and election to make your election, calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall or stumble. For so an entrance shall be ministered, provided, given to you, abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And turn to chapter 3. Last verse. 2 Peter 3.18 By growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, to him be glory now and forever. Amen. Now I'll read a couple more verses. Paul, right, oh, presumably Paul, not the authors of Hebrews, it may may not be Paul, says, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence, the same high purpose, to the full assurance of hope unto the end. The same diligence unto the end. Paul in Second Corinthians says, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, that we have your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for brothers, Lord, who have taken, Lord, who have been sensitive, Lord, to you, who have written things down, Lord, for our understanding, Lord, many, many years later. Lord Jesus, we pray, Lord, as we spend a little bit of time to look at your word, look at, Lord, what you are saying, Lord, to us, that we would be willing, Lord, to hear, would be, Lord, willing, Lord Jesus, to take part, and, Lord, to do our part, Lord, as we understand, Lord, your word in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus is coming back again. We believe that. That's why we're here. <clears throat> there are people around this country, in other countries, that believe that and come in preparation for his coming. <clears throat> there is a strategy of pursuit. That means... Uh, there's an end, there's a prize, and uh, there's a pursuit to win, to seek, to obtain. And one of the strategies 
is to minimize activity, to delay, to avoid, to present as small a target as possible. The aim is not to win, but the aim is not to lose. People will say, keep your head down, don't rock the boat, steady as she goes, keep your thoughts to yourself, keep your mouth shut, isolate yourself, keep yourself cocooned, don't allow, don't stand out, avoid the spotlight, win by staying away. It's actually a valid strategy that has resulted in people being promoted when those around them who have, have fallen. The prizes have been won when the leading individuals have stumbled or some scandal has come about and the alternate kept their head down and they got the prize. Political parties have won power to lead countries when the other party that's been in power has been aiming to win and has just made some errors and therefore the others have won. So the aim was not to win, but to minimize your chances of losing. A little while ago, I was at a, I had an opportunity to meet a young man uh, over a period of a few days, and he's from the country, I can't remember even his name or which town he's from, but he's, uh, he was 19 years old, and he came to Perth to play football. And I don't know much about football or Western Australian Football League or the Australian Football League at all. So I just, over the course of the few days, uh, we changed a few pleasantries at morning tea and, and, and various times. And I learned that he came from a country town to Perth for the purpose of joining a football club so that he would be considered in the future to play at a higher level. He's from the WA CFL, Country Football League. And I didn't know, I'm sure you know this, um, there's nine football clubs in Perth, Claremont, which is based in Claremont. There's Perth, which actually has three different ones. One used to be Vic Park, but it's now Leth Lane. One's based in Leaderville, one's based in Joondalup. There's the Swans Districts, which is based in Bessendine. Fremantle has two clubs, South and East. Subiaco have their headquarters in Leaderville. And there's one sort of south, down south in, in Peel districts called the Mandurah. And if you want to join the Australian Football League, there is something called a draft. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a thing. If I'm going smiling, you know what I'm talking about. If you, it's an opportunity to pick out players, 150 of them, that's all, 150 throughout the country who may be uh, taken to the next level to play for the professionals, basically. But the only way you can get to that level is if you play for, in Western Australia, if you play for one of these nine. And if you're from the country, you've got to come to town. So this young man was 19 years old. He's been in town for about a year, so he was 18. And this is valid, by the way, only between the ages of 18 and 23. You've got to be 18-23, and if you come to town, you play, and you improve, and you get noticed, and you nominate, and they select you, you get to play 
at that level. This young man made that trip. He hasn't he never lived in Perth before. He had to find himself accommodation, he had to find a means to support himself. He had a job as a salesperson. Um, he was at a course to improve his sales skills. Nothing to do with football. And four times a week after work he would go and play football. He had to um, he put himself up to this, I'm not even sure where he played, for one of these nine clubs. He put himself up so that he would be watched. So that he would be told what to do. He would be told when to do it and how to do it. He did it so that he would improve. So that when the time came, he would be selected. So he could become acceptable. So that those who are the selectors would be able to say, this young man, this player, he's got potential. Let's see how we can help him to, work, to mold him, to create him into an image of a real champion that would be able to play at that level so that he can play lots of games, he can have lots of possessions, he can have lots of marks, he can run up and down the field a lot, he can assist with goals and really he can kick a lot of goals. <clears throat> That's the purpose. We know that there's some commercialization behind that, but that aside, that young man put himself up in order to be chosen, selected. I don't know, I don't know where he's at. But it wasn't enough for him to be the best in his local club, which he was somewhere in, in, the, in the country town. He had to be prepared to put himself into a situation where he was in the spotlight, where he was tested where he was put into some uncomfortable situation, some adversity. He he didn't have the skills and he would have to pick up some skills so that he would stand out, so that he could attain the prize of being selected. 2 Peter 3 tells us, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life, in godliness. Verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. What for? So an entrance, an opening, shall be given, ministered unto you abundantly, into where? In the everlasting kingdom of our Lord. We too have a goal. We too have a prize. We too have something that we are aiming for. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we heard this one during the week. But we all with open face, beholding as in the glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image, from glory to glory. The purpose is for us to be changed into his glory. To be changed into his image can make it glory. The Lord is coming back. Our end point, our goal, is not, uh, there is an end point. Is not to be barren, not to be idle, not to be unfruitful, not to be ineffective, but to attain, what we say here? To attain the 
promised calling and election. The Lord's coming. There's lots of different things we can talk about in the Lord's coming. There's lots of different subtopics in the Lord's coming. One of them is that it was foretold. Another thing about the Lord's coming is that that there is a sequence of events that will take place before he comes. Another thing, Brother Frost mentioned, that is that it is near. Another topic that we can look at about the Lord's coming is that what his purpose is. Another topic is, I like this one, the honor from the king or the rewards to those, the, those that will receive. There's also a topic, a warning to the wicked. But the topic I'd like to focus just a little bit of time on today is our preparation for his coming. What kind of preparation? What do we need to do? Romans 8, 28, 29 tells us, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Our preparation is to be conformed to the image of God. How does that happen? It happens through situations. It happens through challenges. It happens through that we may, Second Peter 3.18 says, that we may grow in grace. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, we grow and we prepare for the Lord's return. Peter says, Peter, this is the last book. It's the last letter that is recorded that he's ever written. It's, it's the very last one. A bit like Second Timothy for Paul. And in, the, in, in his, you know, it's the last letter. When it's the last thing that you're going to write or see somebody, you put in some key information. And he says, now, You know, the whereby given unto us great and precious promises, that you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. We know that you believe. You believe in Jesus. You believe his way. You have repented. You have been baptized. You have received his spirit in your life. Beside this, add. Add to your faith goodness. Virtue. And add to your goodness knowledge. And to knowledge temperance. Add. Add. Add patience. Add godliness. Add bridling kindness. Add love. If these things abound in you, you shall neither be barren. He that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see far off. And has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Yes, we need to be purged from our sins. We need to add. We need to grow. To make our calling and election sure. We need to prepare. We need to be conformed to the image of his son. This happens through, ch- through situations. Whether you call it a challenge, a trial, an adversity, whatever it is. That's how the Lord deals with us. In James 5, so we need to prepare. We read, be patient therefore brethren until the coming of the Lord. Establish, that means strengthen your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Grudge, don't complain, one against another. 
brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering and affliction and of patience. It's happened to others. Our preparation is God's character in us. Character. Some of you know. Many of you probably know. There's a meaning of the word character. It means to imprint on the soul. To imprint on the soul. When people talk of character outside of church, that, that lady's got good character. It means she stands for something. They, they, they have, there's some value in that person. When God's talking about character, it's about him imparting his image into our lives. The imprint is him in our lives. It's not a case of, let's see what happens. It's a case of we need to be prepared. We need to be proactive. Proactive means we need to be a little bit initiative. We need to put ourselves in a position to be proactive, is to put yourself into a position before it happens, so that when it happens, you're ready. It's a bit wordy, but I think, understand, we need to be proactive. We need to add these things into our lives. How do we add these things to our lives? How do you add diligence? How do you add temperance? How do you add godliness? And how do you add faith and virtue? And how do you add these things into your life? How do we add these things into our lives? Do we add them into our lives? Does God add them to our lives? What we are supposed to become so that we are prepared will come through some kind of a challenge, trial, to reveal what's on the inside so that we go, ooh, that's not how I should respond. Was I thinking that? Did I really mean that? Did I really... Did I really? Those things happen so that you go, Oh, I didn't know I did that. I didn't know I thought that. The purpose is to reveal what's in you so that you can do something about it. But you can't do it on your, by yourself. There is value in analysis. There is value in problem solving. There is value in some psychology. But we need to make sure that it's not centered or self-focused. There are principles but that we need to go, Jesus, God, help me. I understand some of these principles. They got those principles from your word anyway. So they, they have value, but I can't do it on my own. You've revealed it to me, what's in here, work in me. I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on the revelation of revealing what's inside. Very beginning, Luke chapter 2. Jesus was only a few days old, no, you don't need to find it. His parents took him to the temple. And a man, we don't really know what his background was. He doesn't appear to be of a priestly background. He was a devout individual that visited the, the temple in Jerusalem on a frequent basis. And on that particular day, the Lord 
directed him to go there. And he saw Mary and Joseph. And he said to Mary, Behold this child, set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign which shall be spoken against, that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. That the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. What's on the inside it needs to be revealed. Jesus came so this would happen. A few examples here. Just so we can prove the point. Jesus was teaching at the water's edge. He says, Who has, who has ears, let him hear. For this people's heart is wet, gross, and their ears dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and they should hear with their ears, and they should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Those people chose not to. They chose to not understand. Because they realize there's a revelation. There's something in the heart that says, Whoa, if I do, if I understand, that's going to have to change. That change is going to have to bring about a conversion. There's going to be some cost. Uh, but I'm not prepared for the cost, so therefore I didn't hear, didn't see. I don't know about it. God knows the inner heart. That's why he came to reveal those things. <clears throat> Whose image... Whose character is revealed? Jesus said to them, those who were the godly examples, full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. They didn't want to hear what God's principles were. They wanted to make sure that that they washed their hands and everything was hunky-dory, so to speak. Not that which goeth into the mouth defiles a man, but that which comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man, the revelation. When Paul, when on, on his missionary journeys, he stopped at a place called Ephesus. And there, people didn't care what Paul was doing. Uh, those that weren't following his way. But, sirs, you know by this craft we have our wealth. Almost throughout all Asia, this Paul persuaded and turned away much people, saying, There be no God which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger. We don't care what he says, but when it comes to, Whoa, we're going to be affected, there's a problem here. This Paul, what he's teaching, he's, he's, he's corrupting the whole city, and in fact, he's, he's damaging our gods. Their hearts were revealed, their motives were revealed. At the end of the book, in Revelation, we read about a woman sitting on top of a horse named Babylon who's holding a golden cup, lovely metal, shining, good material, full of abominations, filthiness. The mother of all harlots and abominations of the earth. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because... No man buys their merchandise anymore. The wicked system that's in place suited their purpose. Their hearts were revealed. I find it interesting if we look at uh, <clears throat> just talking about what we, what we see as uh, um, the inner, how God looks at things. God's perspective and man's perspective is very different. 
We read now the works of flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things do not, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That least, if you're really legalistic, which of those items is against the law? Is uh, adultery against the law? Is fornication against the law? Cleanness, lasciviousness? Is idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, wrath, emulation, strife, heresies? There's only one there, it's murder. Drunkenness? No one's going to put you in prison for being drunk. They'll put you in prison if you're driving drunk and you hit somebody. Or if you're under the influence and you beat somebody up. The God, man looks at these things. None of these things are punishable offenses really except for murder. But to God, these are filthiness. These are abominations. Because they reveal the inner workings of the heart. And that's why he came that those things would be revealed. But it's the spirit that gives us life. And when the other thing happens. We can face adversity only if we go back to the first one. If there's a greater purpose. Anyone can face a challenge if they know there is a purpose to overcome something else. At the time when Jesus was ministering on on earth that region uh, Israel was divided into six regions. Uh, Australia's got six states. They had six regions. Galilee, Perea, Idumea, Samaria, Judea, Decapolis. Most of Jesus' time, he spent time throughout the country, but the bulk of his time was in the region of Galilee. Most of his ministry was there. Most of his time was spent there. Most of the miracles that occurred took place in that space there. Galilee, or the Lake Nesaret, or Galilee, or whichever term we prefer to use, that's, that was about 90 kilometers from Jerusalem. It's not far, 90 kilometers, not far. But putting ourselves in at that time, that hour, the bulk of the transport, or the way of getting around, was by foot. So it's about three days walking. So Jesus was about three days from the center. Keep that in mind. A three days walk. He was not really within easy reach of Jerusalem. If they wanted to do something to him, they'd have to maybe get a horse, get there in a bit quicker. But he was three days walking. The thing is, when Jesus, when the time came for him to be offered as a sacrifice, they didn't chase him. They didn't go to Galilee. He went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. If we look at the history, if we look at the sequence of events, he started heading towards Jerusalem about three months out from the, if we go by last weekend, we don't necessarily go by last weekend as in the date, as Easter, but by the event of Jesus dying on the cross at the Passover, it was about three months out. Why are we saying this? <clears throat> it was three months out, he came, Passover, cross, victory over death. We 
had that last weekend. Why did he do it? We're reading, again, the writer of Hebrews says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Despising the shame, set down the right hand of the Lord of God. Consider him that introduced a contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. They didn't get him. He allowed them to get him. He willingly, deliberately moved towards that where his biggest trial, his challenge, adversity, would take place. Jesus put himself in the target, so to speak. For the purpose, there was a purpose. That that purpose would be accomplished, that all men's sins would be covered once and for all, and people would have access, direct access to God themselves. You know, as he's coming to Jerusalem, and he went from town to town and spoke in this place and that place, he knew where he was heading to. But his disciples didn't understand. He knew it was prophesied in, in the prophets. He told them they didn't understand. Others soared around, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and some of the Romans. They started to plan some of these events. But Jesus didn't stay in Galilee, three days walk away. He headed towards that challenge, so to speak. On the way number of things happened. A blind man was healed and everyone's talking about it and he's just outside of Jerusalem. There's a little man called Zacchaeus, tax collector. He goes to his house and everyone hears about it. He didn't hide. He got a donkey, he went to town and the whole town saw him putting things down. He came to the temple and he got really cross when he got there and he started throwing people out and tables and money changers and doves flying and all kinds of things. He was teaching there. He put himself in the target. Most people never see the test, the adversity, the trial, whatever it is, in a positive light. Most see whatever it is, trial, adversity, as a sign that someone's out to get them. But you see, The trial, the test, is what actually leads to growth and development. How many of you would like to go to see a doctor, a specialist, who hasn't done some tests, as in, you know, exams, as in past tests, as in been trained, past tests? Maybe you failed some and he learned some or she learned some. How many of us would like to go on a flight with a pilot who doesn't know how to recover from a plane that's maybe only got one engine running or who, who that's going up steep or something's happened out of control we want to make sure that that pilot knows how to recover from that adverse situation how many of us would like to put our building a bridge, a tunnel a uh, major whatever you want to call it into the hands of an architect whose design hasn't been tested for the soil type, 
for the wind conditions, for the earth shattering, or whatever the local geographic or geological situation may be. Why? So that those things could be revealed, which are on the inside, and improved, and same in our lives. Things during a test are revealed. We go, we can go, we can, we can respond in one of multiple ways. But the only way that we add, the only way that this young man who comes from country can think about joining the AFL is if he puts himself into this situation where he's tested. And Jesus as the supreme example is the only way he can achieve that our lives would have the sacrifice once and for all is if he looks beyond the trial, looks beyond the situation. Jesus is coming back. He expects us to grow. We need to be saved. But he expects us to grow to make sure, make our calling and election sure. We need to know what to do. We don't, I don't deliberately go putting myself in a trial. That's a bit sadistic. We don't like it. But just the same as this young man put himself in a situation where he would be tested. We need to realize that we will be tested. You know, if we avoid it, God will organize it that we will be. You know, the trial might be at work. The trial might be with people at work or the work itself. The trial might be with health. The trial might be with finance. The trial might be with people at church. The trial might be with whatever you think of. But it is for the purpose that you go, oh, you go, oh, did I really do that? You can ignore it, you can put it aside, but actually it is the point where you go, Lord is showing me, what is, what is it about this emotion? What is it about this emotion? Did I respond that way? Is it because they don't value me? Or oh, that means that I actually, I mean, I'm expecting to be valued? Uh, does that mean that I've actually got maybe something in my heart that I shouldn't have? Are there? Did I get? Did I really get jealous? Did I really do this? Did I say that? What's the underlying? Now we're not going to figure it out. That's where Jesus comes in. That's where counsel of the pastor comes in. But our response to situations that we allow ourselves to respond in the correct way will add to our faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness charity or love. Jesus gives us advice for times of testing at the very beginning. He says... I say unto you, resist not evil. Then he goes on, they take your coat, give them another one. Evil, it's not bad evil. Someone's, you know, wronged you. Someone's taken something yours. 
No, 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 no. It's not about the coat. It's about what's revealed in here. Resist, not evil. It says, It's not big evil. But they are things that reveal what's in here. And you know what? We can only make it. We can only turn the other cheek and give him the other one because you know I'm going to heaven. There is a greater purpose. See the point? Jesus is coming back. It's, we have the example of the ten virgins, five wise, five unwise. And sometimes we, are, sometimes we have the concept that as the five virgins or the ten of them slept, that we have the Holy Ghost, the lamps in their lives, and we kind of just slumber until midnight comes and the, the cry of the bridegroom comes. That examples for the purpose of being filled with the Holy Ghost. But we actually need to be active, proactive and grow. We need to be, we can't go through that strategy of winning by trying not to lose, by minimizing our exposure to the things around us, by saying that we're not going to associate with them, we're going to come to church and come to church and we're going to come to various activities and we're not going to take part in anything around us. I'm not saying let's deliberately go to nightclubs. Let's not misunderstand. In normal events and situations of life, we can avoid them or we can not resist them and allow whatever it is that's revealed in us, that's how we add. We don't add. We add by not resisting, by going through the process and letting him change us into that image so that when he comes, he says, I see, your, I see my brother, I see my daughter or my sister. And there is a, a preparation for heaven. Amen. There's a philosopher, a Roman philosopher, who happened to be alive around about the time of these writings. He was Roman, but he was born in Spain, Cordoba. Spent most of his time in Spain. His name is Seneca. And he says this, He who fears death will not accomplish anything worthy of a living man. He who fears death will not accomplish anything worthy of a living man. That means that the person will limit themselves. They want to present a small target. They don't want to. They don't want to. The other way of saying it is he who, will, he who will do anything to avoid failure will almost certainly do something worthy of a failure or a failed person. In other words, that person won't accomplish anything. Adversity provides an opportunity to be challenged. And a new way to practice some of the things that we are taught and to allow to say, Jesus, this is, this is a trial. This is difficult for me. Maybe I messed up. Maybe this is my doing. Maybe this isn't my doing. But I understand that there is a purpose in this because your word says so. And it will create in me that character imprint or that example. You made it towards Jerusalem so they could get you for that prize 
that joy of overcoming. We have an example there. We can find other examples. If you are, you know, we can ask questions of ourselves. Why did this happen? We can blame, we can regret, we can make excuses. We can, can complain. Or we can ask questions that help us move forward. And we can go see wise counsel and look through his word and see where God's word's got lots of examples. If we take the time, if we don't know, we can use concordances, we can use online searching tools, we can ask, we can ask our pastor. There are examples, and if you can see an example, someone has done that, gone through that, so can I. If you've made a mistake, admit it. Admit its consequences to yourself and to God. Say, Lord, help me through this one. What is it that you're trying to teach me? Examine yourself. Examine which possible characteristic could be improved in your life. And thank God for revealing it to you, for perfecting you, for growing, for making your calling and election sure. <clears throat> I kind of rambled. but There's five points. I've summed it up in five points. The Lord is coming back. That's what the song's about. number of songs we had this evening. The Lord is coming back. We need to prepare. We can't be passive. We can't just wait for it to happen. You know, there's a law of thermodynamics. Anything left to itself will just end up being worse. Simply put, <clears throat> you know, there's a house. It's got a garden. They knock it down. It leaves, it's, it's empty. It starts growing weeds. No one planted them there. The weeds thrive in situations which are of poor soil content because the others, the real stuff wouldn't grow there. And no one's taking any notice of them, so they'll just grow. That's thermodynamics. It just regresses to a not a good state. We need to prepare. We need to be proactive. We need to add to our salvation. We need we what we are supposed to become will happen through adversity. There's no way around it. Every person here, every businessman, every CEO, every sportsman, every whatever you politician will go through a challenge and they will really only become the the best they can be when they have overcome adversity because they have learned things along the way. We too, and so much more because we are enabled through His Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit can be revealed in our lives. And so it ought to be. We can face adversity if there is a greater purpose. And the greater purpose is He's coming back. It's all going around. If we keep in mind He's coming back, no matter what happens, I can do it. I can go through it. I can go through that situation. You know what? He said, she said, they said, this happened. I haven't got enough of this. I've got too much of that. Or whatever it is. Lord, deal with what's in here. Reveal it to me. And let me, let me be humble enough to take it. Every person goes through situations. Just because we're standing out here. You know, the same thing 
might not affect me, it affects you. Or the same thing affects you and me to a different intensity. Don't go comparing with somebody else. Ultimately, it's not between anybody else. Let go of what should have happened. Let go of it shouldn't have happened. You know what, Lord? There is something in here that needs to be adjusted. And you know what? God is interested. There's two words that are used in business. Efficiency and effectiveness. I thought about this. I think God doesn't care about efficiency. God cares about effectiveness. I'll explain it. Effectiveness means that it happens. It's done. The result happens. That change in your heart might take some time. But you know what? God doesn't consider time how we do. Therefore, efficiency doesn't figure. You know, it might take me a week to get over what someone said. It might take me a month. But you know what? Effectiveness. Does it dealt with? It's dealt with. It's accomplished. Time God looks at time differently and he judges differently and he knows what's happening in there. We got different things that we got, you know, we all process things, we, we think in a different way, that's okay. Did we come around? The example of those two two brothers who were invited to their father's celebration. Are you gonna come? Yeah, yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming. No, I'm not coming. But the one who said he would come wouldn't. The one who said he's not coming came. His father hugged him and was, was honoured him. Praise the Lord. Jesus is coming back. We can't be passive. We need to allow. Resist not evil. Give the other coat. Because it's not about the coat. It's about what's in here. Let's look at the end of the book as we come to the very close, very timely fitting. Revelation 21, verse 6 to 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst or the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, whoa, we didn't talk about this one, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and the sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire, and brimstone, which is the second death. The fearful. Think about that. It's not a law. You can't. You know, if you were a judge, you're fearful. Like a fire, you go. Hmm. Fearful means no faith. If the gymnast gets ready to go on the beam and she's fearful about what will happen when she does her cartwheel, she won't perform. If we are fearful, God can't achieve what he needs to achieve in our lives. It's no good. Fearful 
will be have their part in the lake of fire. There are different things we're talking about here. We need to understand. We need to be saved. We need to repent. We need to be baptized. We need to receive His Holy Spirit. When we've done that, when that happens, we need to continue growing in Him. We continue to read in verse 27 of that same chapter. And they shall in no wise enter in anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or evil, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's interesting. I don't know how God does it. I've got normal eyes. I can see, you know, I've got two different senses in my eyes. We all do. Once for looking in the light, once for looking in the darkness. But he says, And I saw no temple therein, for the God Almighty and the Lamb of God and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no, city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. But the glory of the Lord did it lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. He's interested in that image, God, that is imprinted in you, that His character is imprinted in your life. Bless the Lord. That's why we come today. Brother Paul has a song we'd like to sing as we consider how we can add. Maybe we read that again back on to Second Peter as Brother Paul gets himself ready. Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. Maybe we can stand you found it haven't been too long according as his divine power and verse has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and to virtue whereby giving unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature we can be that's him in us, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, all care, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Peter. This is the leader of the church. This is the last thing he's writing. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Savior Jesus Christ. Brother Paul.